Hello, everyone. Welcome to Everything Building Envelope. I'm your host, Paul Beers. Everything Building Envelope podcast features topics of interest related to the exterior building envelope, including waterproofing, glazing, cladding, and roofing. Please visit our website, everythingbuildingenvelope.com, where you'll find access to each episode along with show notes and a special video section with bonus content. Please subscribe to the Everything Building Envelope podcast on iTunes and Android outlets such as Stitcher. Today's topic revolves around vulnerable areas within the building envelope, what I would call building envelope hotspots. In other words, what are the biggest areas of concern? We've been in the consulting business for quite a long time, and you know we, we always think we've seen it all, but we have not. And trends do emerge, things that really pop out as being areas that need special attention. So let's look at some of them. Let's start with digging holes in the ground, below grade waterproofing. This has been one of the really hot spots in our consulting business. Great interest here. People are very concerned about it. And the reason is, if you think about it, when you apply below-grade waterproofing, you've dug a hole in the ground, you put the material in to keep the water out. There may be a basement, there may be below-grade parking, uh, elevator pits, things like that. And once you then pour the concrete and cover it up, you can't get back down there to fix it. So it needs to be done really well, really correctly the first time. You need to select a quality system. You need to have warranties in place. You need to have oversight. You need to have involvement from the manufacturer. It's really important. If things go wrong, it's a very difficult fix. It's taking a shot in the dark. You're drilling holes, injecting epoxy, things like that. So the blow-grade waterproofing is a big concern. It's something that really needs a lot of attention, and rightly so. Big part of our our focus on projects when you do have anything that's basically below below the grade or underground. The next area that we see on a lot of buildings, um, not just in Florida, but but all over, are what we call amenity decks. So an amenity deck is a common area in a building. It may be a plaza. It may be a recreational area. It may even be a park. And there's space underneath it that's either occupied by the building, parking garage, something like that. A lot of uh, hotels, condominiums, apartment buildings, even office buildings have amenity decks where you might have swimming pools, tennis courts, green areas, pedestrian areas, plazas, whatever. And again, not unlike below grade waterproofing, you... As you're building it, you apply the waterproofing systems, and if there are problems, it's a very expensive fix. You're digging up or tearing up finished areas, be it be them be it planted, or be it say a tennis court, and chasing around trying to figure out what the fix is. So we really like to pay a lot of attention to amenity decks as well. 
Usually it's a waterproofing system that, that's beneath it. We look for having proper slope to drain to get the water out. We look for using the, the proper systems that will basically be able to stand the test of time. We look for, war again, warranties, manufacturer involvement. Um, I didn't say this about the waterproofing, but having the whole team involved, it's good to have a pre-construction meeting before with the subcontractor, the superintendent, the, the owner, the architect, the ma all of involved manufacturers, and go over everything so everybody really knows what's supposed to happen, how it's supposed to be done, what all the project requirements are, how to make ensure quality control, when to have inspections to assure that everything looks good and get a good outcome. Another thing that's related to amenity decks are planters. Planters are, I've had a contractor tell me one time, planters are one of the lowest cost scope items in a large project, but one of the biggest costs when I have to go back and fix them. So planners, a lot of thought needs to be put into them. The type of material, waterproof material is gonna be used. You could use a fluid applied or a sheet applied. The sheet applied can have problems sometimes with roots and things like that getting into it. So you want something that, you know, because obviously a planner is gonna have, have things growing in it. And you want to have a material that will be able to withstand any invasive roots and things like that. Again, you've got to have drainage. You've got to use the right materials. It's, it's, it seems simple, but it's more complex than it seems. Another area that's related to this are rooftop pedestrian areas. We've seen a lot of problems here. On, on projects where it's kind of a natural architects and, and building owners really, or building users, should I say, really like these rooftop areas. If you think about it, it's a great opportunity to have a sun deck uh, swimming pool. We see a lot of swimming pools on roofs these days. And obviously what's underneath the roof occupied space and probably not just occupied space probably the most expensive space in the building if it's a apartment or a condominium it's typically a penthouse apartment if it's an office building it's typically the premier suite in the building so you don't want water down in there it will be very expensive to fix you have finishes you have, not to mention angry people that live there um, who probably have lawyers. So these areas take a tremendous amount of scrutiny to make sure that everything gets done correctly. In a rooftop pedestrian area, usually it's a waterproofing system that's applied, although there are some, the roofing manufacturers have, have these types of systems also. There is a crossover there, but you need to be really, really careful Again, with, with specifying the materials, getting the manufacturers involved, getting a good installer, having the proper warranties in place. We like to test these areas before they're completed, doing a flood test where we'll 
plug the drain and then flood the area with water, leave it overnight, come back the next day and make sure that all the water is still there and hasn't leaked anywhere. If you have a leak, you want to find it during construction, not, not afterwards. Another area that we're seeing um, more on buildings these days are water features. In fact, we have a building that we're working in Miami right now that has a 75-foot waterfall. It's in design. And this is another waterproofing issue. I, I, I remember sit, working on a restaurant a few years back in Miami. It was very trendy and had a lot of water features, and they leaked. And it was a disaster. It was causing all kinds of problems in the space with, with mold and rot and odors. And it was an extremely expensive fix to basically shut the restaurant down, take drain the water systems and redo everything and do it right. It was obviously not done correctly. So anywhere you've got water or the potential for water to come into the building like that, then you need to really, really pay attention to it. Many buildings nowadays have balconies. People like the outdoors, even on high rise buildings and balconies are always an area where you have to be careful and where we've seen a lot of problems where things aren't done correctly. So a balcony interfaces with the exterior wall of the building. It, of course, it's got some sort of sliding glass door or swing door on it. We prefer sliding glass doors because they perform better and they don't have as much problems with the wind. Balconies can get in some very extreme conditions as far as wind loading goes, particularly if they're near the corner of the building. And you have, it's, it's, it's occupied, it's not occupied space, but it's, it's adjacent to occupied space. You have tile or marble finishes that you put on it. And so many things need to be considered. So let's start with the window or the, excuse me, the sliding glass door or the swing door. You've got to, Really think about how you detail that because a lot of buildings, particularly uh, condominiums, you'll put the window in and then have a buyer come in two years later and put down marble, which could be very thick, several inches in thickness. And if the marble is higher than the sliding glass door track, for example, then the water's going to be trapped in the sliding glass door tra track and that obviously is a big problem. If it can't get out, it's going to come in. So you've got to detail the sliding glass door or swing door track up in the air enough to anticipate what a future owner will do. So typically that involves putting it on some sort of curb. And then, then the question comes, how do you waterproof that? We've had a lot of curb leaks that we've seen over the years. So you basically got to have a waterproofing system that starts at the that, that extends over the entire balcony surface up over any window or door curbs or sills and also up the exterior walls. So there's a sequencing issue here as well where everything's got to be done. If you put the window in first before you waterproof, obviously you're not going to have the opportunity to waterproof the curb underneath the window which is very important. And speaking of waterproofing on the balcony decks, that's another question we get sometimes. Why do we have to waterproof it? 
Well, waterproofing is good practice because what's inside the slab typically, typically these are concrete slabs, what's inside the slab? Steel. And as water, if water gets through the concrete to the steel, it can cause the rebar to rust and expand and that causes the concrete to crack or or even blow out and that's a very very expensive fix and this can happen you know quickly or it can happen 20 years later you want to do everything you can to prolong the life of the balcony people use galvanized or, or builders use galvanized rebar they use sealers they use waterproofing systems you can't really go too far here to try and do things in a way that will decrease the opportunity to have, have this problem happen. You've got railing penetrations on balconies and then something very, very important, seems like a no-brainer, but it's not, is the slope. You've got to have, the balconies have to slope to get the water off or have drains in them if they're really large. And if they're really large, then they have to slope to, to drain. But ponding water is a big no-no, and it, it occurs a lot. A lot of these buildings have post-tension slabs, and they've got everything sloped looking good. Then they tighten the cables on the, on the, in the structural system inside the slab, and the outer edge of the balcony curls up, and all of a sudden you don't have the proper drainage. So all that's got to be contemplated and considered in the in the structural design and then in the waterproofing design to have a successful balcony. Another big hot spot are stucco systems. Stucco, many buildings, I'd say probably 75% of the buildings that we see, or maybe even more, have stucco as the exterior cladding. And it's pretty complicated to get it right. It's, it seems simple to slop the stuff on the wall and, and everything will be good, but it's not. You have different structural frames that you have to consider. You have, in Florida, South Florida, we have masonry. In a lot of the other areas of the country, we have studs and sheathing. And what's really important with both of these systems is to get a good waterproof membrane underneath the stucco. Stucco cracks, stucco is porous, stucco is not waterproof. Um, we found that out back in the day, the heyday of EFs, exterior insulation and finish systems, that were barrier systems basically. They were just adhesively applied and the whole system was supposed to keep water out of the building. 100% of the water, there was no provisions for drainage. And of course, there were a lot of problems. Now, EFS, I'm, I'm not bad-mouthing EFS because EFS has its place. It's a, it's a high-performance finish with insulation on the outside of the walls. It's very highly regarded in some circumstances. And what, what I am bad-mouthing are barrier system. Not, and I'm picking on EFS, not just EFS, but any, any barrier system um, with stucco-type systems are prone to, to problems. So we want to have water drainage behind the system with a, either a fluid applied or a sheet applied membrane. We even want to have that on masonry. Now in masonry, a lot of our clients 
put the waterproofing around window and door openings and not on the bulk of the wall. While we'd like to see it on the bulk of the wall, it's very expensive and we get it. There's budgets that, that need to be met. And um, so sometimes it's a lot, sometimes probably a lot of times it's not done on the entire exterior wall. And with masonry, that's okay because if the masonry gets a little bit wet, there's no harm done. It will dry out. We do recommend testing these systems, field testing them, do a mock-up early in the project and make sure everything's good. And you'll find out right then and there, you know, we've done jobs where the owner didn't want to, didn't want to put waterproofing around the window and door opening. So we said, okay, let's test it with and without. And the without leaked and the with didn't. So obviously it made a lot of sense to do it. And of course the owner didn't want any water in the building. So had to pay a little extra money and, and, and do that. The other thing with stucco systems are the areas where the stucco is adjacent to other materials, junctures, penetrations, control joints, things like that. Um, so a juncture would be where stucco meets a window or a door or where stucco meets, say, a different type of cladding system. That needs, a lot of thought needs to be put into that, how it's detailed, how it's sealed, so that the water, so that it lasts, so that it stands the test of time, and so that water doesn't get in. Penetrations, if you think about it and you look at a building, there are many. There are hose bibs. There are dryer vents. People put signs on buildings, satellite dishes, electrical light fixtures. All those areas are opportunities for water to get in, even around a well-designed stucco system. If you don't detail, contemplate and detail every one of those penetrations, that's where the water could come in. And then the other area that, that we've seen problems with a lot in the past are control joints. Now, control joints are... A necessary, I'll call it a necessary evil in stucco. And sometimes they're an architectural feature that can make a building look the way an architect, give, give the building a certain look. Maybe you have different textures, different colors, or you just want to break up the, the monolithic surface. Very, very carefully consideration needs to be put into control joints because they can also, if they're not, they're basically kind of a penetration in the stucco, or definitely a break in the plane, and it's an opportunity for water to get in. So you've got to have your waterproofing system behind it that will contemplate, you know, compensate for any water coming in. And you also need to really consider that the, where the control joints are. You don't want them terminating into, say, a window opening where they could just channel water right into the behind the window. And they've got to be properly sealed. Manufacturers control joints do have instructions on sealing them and, and that needs to be done. If it's not, then you're probably going to have a problem. Glazing systems, I'm not really going to go into that today, but glazing systems obviously need to be, you need to select the proper window, door, fixed glass, curtain wall. It needs to have the proper performance criteria. It needs to be properly installed and very important 
when you have a any building, and I would say any size building, but maybe that's a little bit extreme, but field water infiltration testing is very, very helpful during construction to see if the window, door, fixed glass, curtain wall is performing as intended. A lot of times these systems are tested in a laboratory as standalone systems, not installed into a particular wall system. And it, that's where the rubber meets the road. It really, if you test and you find it, what you want to do is you want to test as early as possible in the project, do an do a in-place mock-up, test it. Many, many, many times when we do this, we'll find a leak somewhere. If it's early in the project, we can make an adjustment to the installation or the design of the wall system and how it interfaces with the window, or maybe the window had some problem coming out of the factory. Let's find out about it. Let's get it fixed while everybody's still on the job before people have moved into the building. And you're going to have a much better outcome than not doing that. And find, you don't want to find out later. You don't want to find out after the building's been built, people have moved in, and all of a sudden you've got leaks. That's a disaster, typically. Roofs are an obvious area of concern. We like to keep them as simple as possible. The less penetrations, the better. Proper drainage, proper slope to drain. How do they interact or intersect with parapet walls or curtain walls or whatever interfaces with them. We want to use a, a, a good system with a good warranty, be it built up, single ply, EPDM, whatever. We want to get make sure we have a good roofer and a good manufacturer. And then we want to follow all the all the rules or all the conditions to get the warranty. And that's not just during installation, that's after the roof is installed. We get involved in projects all the time that have a 20-year warranty. And one of the conditions of the warranty would be an annual inspection by the manufacturer. If that's not done, then it's a big problem trying to get a warranty claim where you haven't basically done your part of the bargain. And the roof manufacturers will almost always deny the claim because they they like they want to inspect it every year and if there's a problem then they can identify it and fix it if it's a small problem before it becomes a big problem. Uh, sealants everybody thinks of sealants they think of windows but sealants are used in many areas throughout the project control joints expansion joints anywhere you have a change in substrate junctures, penetrations, all the things we talked about before. Again, this is seems simple, but just putting the, the goop in there doesn't isn't necessarily going to solve the problem or prevent the problem. Sealing, sealants are very complex. There's a lot of different types. They have different elasticity, different properties as far as how they perform in UV, that's the sun hitting them. Um, there's a lot of complicate, not I shouldn't say complication, but sealant design is really important where you have to have a um, two-sided adhesion. You have to use bond breaker tape or backer rod. And by the way, backer rod does not have anything to do with waterproofing. 
has to do with the proper profile of the sealant joint so that it can expand and contract. And the sealant joints typically need to be thinner than they are wide so they can they can move in and out, kind of like pulling on a elastic band. And then using the proper materials, silicone versus urethane, they all have their uses. We like to see silicone anywhere where it gets hit with the sun. Urethane breaks down, has, has the potential to break down over time when exposed to sunlight. But urethane, you know, may be a great sealant in a, in a concealed condition where you want really good adhesion and strength. Coatings, what you, you know, we talked about stucco. Well, stucco typically needs to be painted at the end of the project. Everybody loves to want to gravitate to an elastomeric coating, which is kind of a waterproof coating. Not necessarily a good choice on a, on a building that was just stuccoed recently or newly constructed building because the stucco still has moisture in it. You don't want to trap the moisture. You would use an acrylic paint typically for that. Or if you did use an elastomeric paint, you'd want to have a lot of porosity to allow the moisture in and out. Now, 10 years later, when the building needs to be repainted, yes, elastomeric is probably a good idea. So it's dried out at this point. And there's cracks and things like that that need to be overcome. So these thought needs to be put into what's going to be used. And there's different products for different scenarios and also different life cycles of the building. The last thing I have on my list here um, is pretty interesting because we see this all the time. And, and I've got it. I'm calling it glass quality. So there's two things that I think of with glass quality, and this, this can be big money and you gotta be so, so careful with it. One is having the glass get damaged while it's being installed in the building. Scratches would be the primary thing. You get stucco on it, drywall mud, people bang into it with tools, whatever. Scratch glass is, when glass gets scratched, you know, they, they try to, they buff it out and things like that. Typically, when glass gets scratched, it needs to be replaced, especially if it's got a lot of scratches on it. Very, very expensive. Unit owners come in to their million-dollar condominium. They're not going to put up with having a big scratch going through the, the pane of glass. And there are industry standards to evaluate scratches, which can be helpful but ultimately, if the unit owner is sitting at their breakfast table and they're looking out at the ocean and there's a scratch, say, in the bottom corner of the window right in their field of vision, they're not going to put up with that. And it's a big fight and it's a fight you don't want to have. So protecting the glass during construction with films, with good practices, good housekeeping, everything you can do to keep that from happening is really, really important. The other thing that we're seeing more and more of these days is distortion. In fact, I recently replaced the windows in my house in Florida and the glass came out distorted. It was laminated glass. It's no good. You, you look, it looks like you're looking at the fun house when you look through the glass. Industry standards really are, do not address the distortion in a, in a way that, that meshes with, with the consumer expectations. All glass is has some degree of distortion in it, so it's basically what you can see when you're looking through it. But 
very, very important and highly recommend inspecting all the glass. Well, first of all, to set the expectations up front with the supplier that what's what's get some samples, do some mock-ups, and then have something as a baseline to compare all the rest of the glass on the project to. And inspect it when it comes out. Don't put it in the building if it's distorted. Have it replaced immediately. Big fight waiting to happen if you're not really careful with this. So those are my hot spots. And what do we do about it? I mean, I've talked about this along the way. Obviously, paying a lot of attention to the design and making sure everything is well detailed. Um, that's where we come in a lot of times working on projects where we, we assist the, the, the design team or the owner or, or do a peer review to see if everything is has been addressed and has been addressed up to the industry standard of care. Great idea to get manufacturers and subs involved during the design, get their input. They work with this stuff every day and they know, you know how things need to be. They also, also manufacturers have a lot of requirements that need to be met and they can advise on what should and shouldn't be done. Uh, warranty requirements, again, if you don't get it right up front and you don't follow all the rules, so to speak, of what needs to be done for the warranty, and that may include, and that includes proper use of materials, proper detailing, installation, probably some inspections and documentation that things were done right during installation. And as I said before, post-installation post requirements, particularly with roofs, if they don't, if you don't have the manufacturer's inspections annually, you're probably going to lose your warranty. Uh, as we go through the construction process, there are submittals, always require full submittals, we, like windows and doors are a great example, shop drawings. Most, you know, all major projects, you do window, do shop drawings for windows and doors. When you get into some of the smaller stuff, um, you know, the wood frame, multifamily, hotels, things like that, and submittals aren't done, that's just looking for trouble. If you want to make it work on paper first, then you want everybody in the field to understand how it works to give you a much better chance of success. Pre-installation meetings, we love to do those. We do them typically for waterproofing, glazing, cladding, and roofing. Get everybody together. Go over the, the plans and specifications. Review the submittals. Have the installers out there. Go out in the field. Look at the field conditions, discuss any issues, answer any questions, get everybody on the same page, gives you a much better chance for success. Quality control inspections during the work, great idea to go check and make sure things are getting done right. If you catch a problem during construction, it can be fixed. If it's missed and afterwards problems develop, you're tearing out finishes, you have angry occupants of the building, it's typically a lot of drama and a lot of problems, so why not catch it during construction? I talked about field testing. We like to do it on windows, doors, and, and the surrounding wall areas. We like to do flood tests with waterproofing. There are sealant adhesion tests that can be done. There's a whole myriad of tests that can be done to make sure that everything 
is copacetic and that, you know, if there are problems, again, let's find it during construction. So I think the big thing is as, as construction's going on, you're doing your inspections and you're doing tests, if you do have issues, make sure they get followed through on and make sure they get fixed. You know, there's, we have sometimes where we work on projects, we do inspections, we send our reports and we wonder if anybody's even reading them. And if you, it's great to do all that, but if the problem ultimately doesn't get fixed, then what good is it? So I hope you enjoyed this episode of Everything Building Envelope and found it interesting and thought-provoking. I really appreciate, by the way, the comments that people have been sending me after these episodes and would encourage you to please, um, if you have any ideas, thoughts, comments, whatever, bring it on. Love to hear it. Please subscribe to the Everything Building Envelope podcast at iTunes or Android outlets such as Stitcher or visit building, everythingbuildingenvelope.com. You'll find show notes, previous episodes, and bonus content videos. As an added bonus for visiting the everythingbuildingenvelope.com website, we've added a free white paper for building envelope hotspots. So I'm going to put this into a little essay and just kind of a checklist. So if you'd like a copy of that, please visit building envelope, everythingbuildingenvelope.com. Thank you for listening. Please tell your friends and colleagues about Everything Billy Envelope podcast. And this is Paul Beer saying so long until next time.